It's good to be here this morning, see everyone out today. I think we've got a few maybe that are out of town and we might have some that are, are visiting with us this morning, but we are grateful for the presence of each and, and every one today. I'm especially glad to see Joanne Yarbrough with us. She's been out for a while. She's not well, but well enough to be here today. And that's really very encouraging to see that she is making progress and to see her sitting over there and, and her spot beside Herman and with her family and, and uh, just, just really glad to, that she's doing well enough to be here this morning. Uh, in the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul meets together with the elders from the city of Ephesus, from the church there in, in Ephesus. It's a rather lengthy uh, account of his conversation that he has with them, but in the course of all that, he says that he did not shrink back from declaring to them the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God. That's really our responsibility as preachers of the gospel, to teach the whole counsel of God. We don't want to omit any part of it. We don't want to neglect any part of it or to the best of our ability, not overlook any part of it, but to teach the whole counsel of God. And in doing that, there are different kinds of sermons or different kinds of lessons that we'll teach. Sometimes our sermons might be a little theological. We'll talk about the nature of God or the existence of God or how can God be one and three? That, that is a kind of a challenging concept, isn't it? That, that God is one God in three persons, and, and how can that be? But that's part of the counsel of God, part of coming to understand God. Or how can Christ be two in one? He's holy deity, completely God, and yet at the same time, He's, he's completely man. How, how can that be? And so we'll talk about those kinds of things as part of teaching the whole counsel of God. We might talk about doctrinal issues from time to time. And sometimes people might get a little discouraged at those kinds of things and, and say, you know, I, I, I understand the theological, I understand the need for that or the doctrinal, but you know, I really like those very down-to-earth practical lessons. And that's part of the counsel of God today. Today I'm going to talk about something that everybody needs to hear. Let's go to the book of Proverbs chapter 18. One area where every Christian can improve is in his or her speech. Anybody here not need to hear a lesson about our speech and the way we talk and the words that we use and the way we use our words is something that we all can use. There are lots of passages in the Bible that address the issue uh, that discourage us from using inappropriate speech or inappropriate language and encourage us to use appropriate speech or use our ability to speak in a godly or beneficial way. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, for example, he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And so there in one verse we have a combination of both. Here's something that you shouldn't do, but here's something that you should do. And so the Bible is really uh, filled, it's replete with those kinds of passages, that kind of uh, advice. Don't use your ability to speak in the wrong way or a sinful or ungodly way, rather use it in the uh, godly way. Jesus warns against bearing false witness and slander in Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 through 37, and chapter 15 in verse 19. 
As you know, James contains a lengthy discussion of the problem in James chapter 3. He says, The tongue is a fire, the world of iniquity, defiles the whole body, is set on fire by hell itself, cannot be tamed, and describes the tongue as a restless evil. Paul includes such things as gossip, slander, corrupt talk, lying, obscene speech, foolish talk, and crude joking in his catalogs of sinful behavior. On the other hand, he encourages us to teach and pray and sing and edify and encourage and even correct as well. He tells us that our speech should always be graceful, always be graceful, seasoned with salt. Colossians 4 and verse 6. I was reading through Proverbs not too long ago, and as I was reading through Proverbs chapter 18, I noticed there are several statements here concerning the tongue, concerning what we say, how we say it, when we say it, the circumstances in which we say it. And I thought it'd do us good to talk about those things a little bit. I'll take it as uh, the title to the lesson this morning, the statement down in verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so we're going to see how death and life, benefit and harm, are in the power of the tongue, or in our words. Sometimes people will say the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, that's the idea. Not, not the pen, but our words. Our words contain the power of life and death, sometimes in a very literal way. But at least at other times, they can do good or they can do harm. They can help or they can hurt. And so we need to be careful about the way we use our ability to speak. He says in verse 4, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. What does it mean? The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. Well, the idea of something being deep, of course, is to, to suggest that it's profound or it's impactful or it's significant or something like that. And so we use that expression sometimes when somebody makes a rather profound observation, we might say, oh, wow, that's, that's deep. Or somebody might want to uh, study a particular topic or talk about a certain issue. We might say, well, that's, that's a, pretty deep, a pretty deep study. And so we're getting down into the, the foundational aspects of that particular subject, the more profound uh, elements of a study. And so that's the idea, the most profound, the most significant aspects of life are described here as deep waters. In the book of 1, Timothy chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there Paul, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit knowing the deep things of God, the most profound truth of God Himself and God's revelation is known only by the Spirit. And so here, deep water is profound wisdom. A man's words are profound wisdom. And that's reflected in the second line of this verse, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. And so it's just like that spring that bubbles forth, that's flowing uh, continually. It doesn't run dry in the heat of the summer. It's just a continually bubbling brook that we can drink from and benefit from uh, throughout the course of our lives. Jesus indicates in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 35 that the words of a person reveal the content of his heart. 
And so whatever's in a person's heart is going to come out in his words. And what comes out in a person's words reflects the content of his heart. And so if a man has anger in his heart, that's going to be reflected in his words. If a person has jealousy in his heart, that's going to be reflected in what he says. And so if wisdom is in a person's heart, well then wisdom is going to come out in his words as well. And that's the idea here. Again, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. And so if a person has wisdom in his heart, well then that wisdom is going to be communicated and conveyed in what he says. And so, if we want to benefit from the wisdom that this man has or this woman has within them, well then we need to listen to them. That's the implication of the verse. We need to listen to people that are wise, that have learned the profound lessons of life and are able to share those things with us to our benefit. And as long as we're in touch with people like that, and as long as we're in communication with Him, we can drink from that fountain of wisdom, well, just as long as, as long as we live. And even beyond the point where that person might pass, their words continue to guide us. Well, that raises this question, doesn't it? Where are we going to find that kind of wisdom? You know, if we want to drink from the fountain of wisdom that flows from wise people, where, where can we find that wisdom? Well, we'll offer a couple of suggestions. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14 says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. And so find wise teachers, find wise uh, counselors that can guide us in the way that we can benefit from their insight and their experience and their, their knowledge. And so find wise teachers. We've got some wise teachers among us. And so if we want to benefit from their knowledge, we need to get to know them. We need to be in communication with them. We need to ask, and, and ask questions just about the things that we're going through in life and listen to what they have to say. In Proverbs chapter 16, in verse 13, we find this statement. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and who speaks right is loved. Righteous lips are the delight of kings. Find righteous people and listen to what they have to say about choices that they have to make and that you have to make, and they will guide you in the right way. And so people that are unrighteous are not making good decisions. And they're not going to give you good advice. Find righteous people. And that's righteous young people. If you're a young person, find some righteous young people to associate with and to be around. And as we grow older, we need to continue to rely upon the advice and the guidance of righteous people, whether they're old or young. And then look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 11. Proverbs 10 verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Again, we're depending upon the words of the righteous. Whether they're old men or young men, uh, whether they're male or female, we're finding the words of the righteous and we're relying on them. One other place we're going to find good, sound, wise guidance that we can drink from, that we can benefit from, are the words of our parents. Now that's emphasized over and over in the book of Proverbs, all the way back in the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, 
They are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Listen to what your mother and father have to tell you. They're going to give you sound advice. They're going to give you good guidance. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, another similar passage. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. Now, when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my, my words, keep my commandments, and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. And so I was a boy at one time, and my father told me, gave me this advice. Get wisdom, get understanding, and so I applied myself to do that. And so I want you to benefit from that as well. And so I'm giving you good advice, I'm giving you good guidance. If you'll listen to it, then you'll benefit from it. Sometimes there's conflict between parents and children, especially as children get a little older, they get up into the teenage years and they want to kind of establish their own independence and assert their own independence and there's conflict between parent and child and sometimes children think well you know my my, my dad's so old he's out of it he doesn't understand the way things are today he's stuck in 1975 uh, for Pete's sake you know so and so there's that that that, that conflict and children might tend to reject the counsel of their parents but the scriptures teach children to listen to the wisdom imparted to them by their parents. We could say it, it's deep water. It's an everlasting stream. You see, your parents have learned wisdom from their parents. Just like Proverbs chapter 4 explains. Or they may have learned wisdom just from observing life. The life that goes on around them. About what works and what doesn't work. And how people get into trouble. And how people stay out of trouble. Sometimes they learn from seeing the mistakes of other people around them. This person is in trouble. What led to that? Well, I'm going to make sure that I don't repeat that, repeat that mistake. And sometimes they learn from their own mistakes and their own successes. And so recognize that your parents are a source of wisdom and instruction and listen to them and they're going to give you good advice and good guidance. Now, parents are not infallible. I understand that. No parent is infallible. And some parents are just downright irresponsible. <laughs> but a loving parent, a parent who loves you, is going to give you good advice. Is going to give you sound, uh, sound guidance. There is no one who is more interested in seeing you succeed than a loving parent. There's nobody who's more interested in your success than a loving parent. And that parent is going to do everything he or she can to help you along the way. And so listen to what they have to say. So the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. And so we want to drink from it just as much as we can. Proverbs chapter 18, we'll go back to our, our text. Look at verse 6. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's lips bring strife. The fool is uh, talked about quite often in the book of Proverbs. If you go over to chapter 26, you'll find a rather lengthy section discussing the nature of a fool, verse 1 says, Like snow in summer and like rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Verse 3, A whip is for a horse, 
a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Verse 4, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or, he'll all, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as is his folly, as his folly deserves, uh, that, he, uh, that he not be wise in his own eyes. And then we can go, we can just continue to go. Uh, so the, the fool is, is, is an, uh, an object of attention in the book of, a book of Proverbs. Here are some of the things that are said about fools. He's not interested in acquiring understanding, chapter 18 and verse 2. He hates knowledge, chapter 1 and verse 22. Wickedness is a sport to him, chapter 10 and verse 23. His end is destruction, chapter 1 and verse 32. He doesn't fear the Lord, chapter 1 and verse 29. Associating with the fool deprives one of knowledge, chapter 14 and verse 7. Not only is a fool a danger to himself, but he's a danger to others, as this passage indicates. A fool's lips bring strife. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. And so, in the book of Proverbs, we might say that a fool is an obstinate, selfish, obnoxious person, and his words bring strife. Do you know anybody, or have you ever been around anybody who... You know, you're not with them very long you, before you're in an argument. Or if you're in a group of people, he's sure going to say something eventually that's just going to get people worked up. And then it's just going to end up in a fight. He's just got to be in a fight all the time. And so he's causing trouble. He's starting arguments. He creates conflict between his friends or maybe in the family. Or how about in the church? You ever, you ever known anybody like that in the church? It's just a constant battle. It's just a fight all the time. That man's a fool. <laughs> when I was growing up, we were taught, don't call people a fool. But the Bible calls him a fool. The fool's lips uh, bring strife. Some people have such poor judgment, give so little thought to the consequences of what they say, have so little control over what they say, or just plain don't care what they say. They blurt out anything that comes to mind, even if it stirs up conflict between themselves and others. It seems to me that some people thrive on it. They thrive on the conflict. They thrive on the strife. They love it. They love the, the, the fight. And so just time after time after time, they say things that are going to end up producing that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, God is a God of peace. You ever thought, God is a God of peace. He wants peace. He doesn't want people to be in constant conflict and strife. His people are to be peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, Paul says, As much as in you life, be at peace with all men. The very opposite of causing strife and conflict and arguments and fighting and dissension. The very opposite of that. God is a God of peace. His people are to be peacemakers. We're to be at peace as much as, as much as is possible. Be at peace with all men. If you look at Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer or a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so we want to be people that diffuse the tense situation, that calm people down, that bring about peace, rather than keeping things stirred up all, all the time. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good and how pleasant it is 
for brethren to dwell together in unity. And so I suppose it's bad enough to have people that cause strife continually among friends or among family, but it's especially bad in the church, isn't it? How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And so we want to avoid people who continually cause strife or do our best to resolve strife when it arises and do our best not to be the kind of person that causes strife or causes uh, dissension among friends or family or the church. Back to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, this time verse 7. A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are the snare of his soul. Again, a fool in the book of Proverbs is selfish and obnoxious, stubborn kind of person. And here it says, a fool's mouth is his, a fool's mouth is his ruin. You ever said to people or heard from people, you know, your mouth's going to get you in trouble one day. Maybe we've been on the hearing end of that more than we've been on the saying end of that. You know, if you keep it up, your mouth's going to get you in trouble. Well, that's what this passage is saying. A fool's mouth is his trouble. It brings ruin to him. You know, a wise person thinks before he speaks. But a fool, in a common way of saying it, he has no filter. A fool has no filter, so his mouth gets him in trouble. He's not careful about what he says or how he says it or when he says it. And so in conversation, he insults other people. He embarrasses other people. He ridicules them. He intentionally draws attention to their faults or he raises their shameful deeds. You know, there, and probably most of us, we've done things that we really don't want other people to know. But there are those people, they, they love revealing those kinds of embarrassing, shameful things that we might have done. They intentionally cause trouble for others with what they say. And so that comes back on them and they get into trouble. Some folks are aggressive and confrontational in their words. And so they get into trouble. They speak rashly. They speak out of anger, strong emotion. Say things that make them look foolish. Look at Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12 and verse 18. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so there are those who speak rashly. They don't give enough thought to what they're saying. Say it off the top of their head. They say it out of emotion. And they, they, they hurt. They do damage. They don't heal. They harm. And so a fool's mouth is his ruin. It gets him into trouble. He's going to bring problems upon himself. Thought about some Bible illustrations of this. People who especially speak rashly and it gets them into trouble. Can you think of any? Any Bible illustrations of people who spoke without thinking things through and they had problems and it really turned out to their detriment? Well, the top of the list is Jephthah, right? <laughs> Jephthah spoke rashly, promised God to offer to him the first thing that came out of his house when he got home, and it was his daughter. And he didn't stop and think about what he's promising God before, before he makes such a rash promise. Moses is another illustration of that gets carried away at the rock, and instead of speaking to it like God says, He says, shall we bring you forth water out of this rock? And He takes His rod and strikes it. And, and so He acts rashly, He speaks rashly, and He got Him into trouble. Psalm 106 and verse 33 illustrates that as well. P Peter's 
Peter's mouth gets him in trouble sometimes, doesn't he? Lord, it's good to be here. Let's make three tabernacles. <laughs> and then when the pressure is put on him, as Jesus is being tried, oh, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? Peter denies it. Later, of course, regrets it greatly. Now, Moses and Peter recover from these examples, I suppose, but they illustrate the danger, don't they? A fool's mouth is his ruin. If you're not careful, your mouth is going to get you in trouble one day. If we don't learn to bridle our tongue, our mouth will be our ruin. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, We ought to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. It's a good idea before we speak to consider the occasion. It's what this thought that's come into my mind, is it appropriate for this occasion? When you think about that, sometimes people say the wrong thing at absolutely the wrong time. I'm guilty of that sometimes. Or who's present in the conversation? You know, here we're in a group of people and I've got this, oh, well, is this really good for that person to hear or for that person to hear? Give thought about who's involved in the conversation. Think about the atmosphere of the conversation. Is it tense? Is there conflict? Think about what we say before we say it, and we can save ourselves a lot of trouble. Proverbs 17, verse 17, He who restrains his words has knowledge. Good advice. He who restrains his words has knowledge. Back to Proverbs 18, The words of a whisper are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost part of the body. That's verse 8. Two things here. A whisper is just a gossip. He's passing along information he doesn't want other people to hear, and so he whispers it. The information is private and personal and confidential, sometimes not true, sometimes only partially true. And so the conversation begins with, well, you know what this person did? Well, I'm not supposed to say it, but <laughs> the whisper. And so the words of a whisper are like dainty morsels. Now, I don't know that I would go to somebody's house and say, boy, you've got some dainty morsels set on the table <laughs> today. Well, what's he trying to say there? Well, some versions say delicious morsels or choice morsels or delicious trifles, bits, of greed, uh, bits greedily swallowed, maybe just very tasty treats. The words of a gossip are like tasty treats. That's right, isn't it? Oh, we love to tell it, and we love to hear it. We love to tell the things that other people are not supposed to hear, and we love to hear it. The result of that kind of gossip is described in the book of Proverbs. Separates chief friends, or best friends. Proverbs 16, verse 28. You want to ruin a friendship? You know, you want to ruin a friendship? take some confidential private information about your friend, and you go out and spread it to people that that person doesn't want. That, that, that's the end of your friendship. It separates best friends. When people keep what they know to themselves, as they should, well, then problems are avoided. Proverbs 26 and verse 40 tells us, For lack of, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. 
The Scriptures condemn this kind of gossip. Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, in that long list of sins that the Gentiles were guilty of, gossip is named along with other more heinous sins, or heinous sins, at least as we consider sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 20, we find gossip being condemned there as well. Gossip and slanderers and the untrustworthy all come under the condemnation of God. It occurs to me that we become a nation that thrives on gossip. And I suppose social media is to blame for some, some of that. The 24-hour news cycle. And, and, and I don't say we need to make a distinction between the legitimate sharing of needed information. All right, sometimes people need to know information. And then just the salacious impartation of of uh, useless information or harmful information. We live in a time when gossip has replaced legitimate news. We want to hear about the love lives of the most popular starlets, the latest scandal involving politician, or what I call the soap opera of sports, rather than the substance of national and international affairs. And so we, we thrive on the gossip that they're circulating out there, more than the real substantive issues. And what's true on a national level is also true on an individual level. We love to tell and hear the latest gossip, even though it might be harmful to others. And so we just need to be cautious about those things. The words of a whisper are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body, and yet they do harm. Back to Proverbs chapter 18. Verse 13, who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. I can almost hear all the wives saying, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, this, this applies to every married person in the audience. He who gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and shame to him. And so you've ever been in a situation where you're anticipating what's going to be said, and so before the other person gets through saying it, you're interrupting and you're saying, what? And you're, you're responding to what you think that person is going to say. That's what he's talking about. The person who gives an answer before he hears is folly and shame. Why is it a folly? Well, sometimes we don't anticipate correctly what's going to be said. We think we know, but sometimes we're just wrong about it. And so what we say in response is wrong as well. It manifests a lack of patience. Just be patient and listen. Patience is encouraged in a number of places in the Bible, of course. It's a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, verse 22. It's disrespectful to the speaker. You see, it diminishes the importance of the speaker's thoughts. As a result, shows a lack of respect to the speaker. His thoughts, her thoughts, are rejected even before they can be expressed. Well, I know what you're going to say, but I know better. And so it shows disrespect to the speaker. His thoughts or her thoughts are not as value, valuable or valid or important as my conclusion in the matter. And so it's, it's a folly. It's, it's a shame. Chapter 18, verse 2, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. <laughs> uh, pretty applicable words. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Let me tell you what I think about it. That person's called a fool. 
I suppose in a more general way, this particular passage speaks to reaching a conclusion before gathering all the important information. And so we jump to a conclusion. We have partial information, but we don't have all the information we need to make an informed decision. But we draw a conclusion and then we act on that. And that, that's a mistake. And whether it's a conversation with your husband or wife, or whether it's in a conversation at work, or whether it's in Bible study, reaching a conclusion before we gather all the needed information, drawing a conclusion from that, and then acting on it. We all know the importance and the value of being a good listener. Look at verse 15 of Proverbs 18. The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge. The ear of the wise seeks knowledge. It's interesting to me that in the course of this passage, which issues so many warnings about what we say, it's the ear that is commended. The ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And so, even on those occasions, when we accurately anticipate what's going to be said, listen patiently, just listen patiently, respectfully, and then respond. The last of these is this statement, verse 20. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. This one encourages productive use of speech. If we use our words carefully and wisely, we're going to enjoy good results. There are a lot of warnings about inappropriate speech here, uh, but these passages like this one, Teach us to use our speech for good. And so Ephesians 4, verse 29, edify. Hebrews 3, verse 13, encourage. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer. Proverbs 25, 11 through 13, a word fitly spoken. Knowing the right thing to say, when to say it, of course, comes through experience and wisdom, and uh, rarely uh, comes to those who don't give sufficient thought to their words. And so we want to use words in a positive way, in an appropriate way, and then that will be to our benefit. And so we're not using our words arrogantly or boastfully, but we do want to use our words so that they bring honor to us. They bring respect to us. We want to use our words to prove ourselves to be honest people, people of integrity. We want to be examples of godliness and holiness, we want to be kind and sympathetic. And at the same time, people that are truthful and willing and able to correct. And so sympathetic and kind, yes, but also people that will tell the truth, even if it means correcting those who are in error. You know, Galatians chapter, one, verse six, chapter 6, verse 1, tells us that if a brother is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one. But how? In a spirit of gentleness. Even the correction is to be done in a spirit of gentleness. I really think that there is no quicker way to show others the kind of person we, we are than with our speech. No, no quicker way than that. And if we can use our words appropriately, well then, it will benefit those around us, and it will benefit ourselves as well. And so we're back to the very beginning. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And uh, you can see that again, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I think there are probably times when that's literally true. 
And so a man's life hangs in the balance of what the witness is going to testify. And so in that case, death and life are in the power of the tongue, in the power of what's said. A commander is leading his troops into battle. Whether he says charge or whether he says hold your ground, the power of life and death is in, is in his words. But at the very least, the power to hurt and heal are in our words. The power to harm or make whole is in our words. The power to tear down or build up is in our words. And so we have a choice to make. Are we going to use our words to benefit others, to build them up, and to bring honor and respect to ourselves? Or are we going to use words as the fool uses his words uh, to hurt other people and to ruin our own lives? And so we need to give some thought to that and use our words appropriately. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to come together and to study from your word, to look into the, the practical guidance that we find in it. Father, we, we all have a problem with our words sometimes and what we say. We don't think long enough about what we say. We don't think about who's, who's, in the, you know, who's, who's, who, who's hearing these things. And uh, we, we don't think about the situation enough. And Father, sometimes we just say things that we shouldn't. We ask for your help, Father, to, to help us uh, to think more carefully about our words that we don't do any harm to others and we don't bring ruin upon ourselves, that we use our words not only to bring honor to ourselves and respect to ourselves, but ultimately, Father, to bring honor and praise and glory to you. And so, Father, we pray that we will use our words in a way so that people can hear and see and come to understand that we are your children and that they will want to be your children as well. Father, help us to give some thought to these things today. Help it to sink down into our, our hearts and our minds. And may these things truly have an impact on what we say throughout the rest of this day, the week and month and years to come. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.